Before I begin with scripture, I want to say, um, as always, how honored I am to be in this pulpit, how humbled I am. Um, coming back to Memphis is like coming home, um, and I have two homes now, Calvary and St. Peter's across the street, um, and it means the world to me and warms my heart to see so many familiar faces. From the Gospel of Matthew, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The word of the Lord. Many of you know my story. I was a Dominican friar for 20 years, and there are many things that the Dominican order taught me that I still keep close to my heart today not to mention this Dominican cross that hangs around my neck, which I wear every time this alb goes over my head. But I have a lot of fond memories of formation with the Dominicans, which took place in St. Louis, Missouri. One thing that the Dominicans made sure that we understood was the importance not only of preaching and how preaching affects everything that we do, but also taking time for prayer, meditation, and retreat. There was a retreat every year in formation. Our first retreat was a 30-day silent retreat in the Ignatian spiritual exercises. Yes, my family was a bit shocked that I was able to survive uh, a 30-day silent retreat, and so was I. And I have not done one since. I've done some silent retreats, but thir not 30 days. That was during my novitiate year, which is the beginning of your religious order. You're a novice for one year. And then the next year, my first year in the seminary, we had a retreat, but it was not until the spring semester and it was in the season of Lent. And if you're going to have a Lenten retreat, most people would think that you would do that retreat at the beginning of Lent or right before Lent starts, right? To kind of set the tone for what your Lenten season is going to be all about. Well, this Lenten retreat was in the middle of Lent, halfway through Lent. And... 
I thought that was a bit odd. And being the um, shy person that I am, I did not say anything. I just went with the flow. It was a Dominican nun, a Dominican sister, who was giving the retreat. And she said from the very start, I bet you're wondering why we started this retreat mid-Lent instead of at the beginning. Well, I, I, I certainly thought that, wondered that same thing. And she said, because I think most of you probably started Lent with very good intentions. You had some certain Lenten practices that you were putting into place. Maybe you were praying more often. Maybe you were reading a special devotion every day. Maybe you were giving something up. Maybe you were doing something. She said, I think just about everyone has good intentions when Lent starts. She said, so I'm going to ask you halfway through the season, how's your Lent going? Well, most of us got a little uncomfortable and kind of wiggled in our seat a little bit, knowing that we had really good intentions at the beginning, that, but maybe, just maybe things weren't going the way that we had planned. You're probably the same way. I would imagine most of you decided to do something or give something up or read something during the season of Lent. And did you know we're halfway through? This past Sunday was the third Sunday of Lent. We're halfway through. So I'm going to ask you the same question. How's your Lent going? Good, I hope. She also said something that has stuck with me forever. She said, Lent is not about what you do, and Lent is not about what you give up. Lent is about who you become. I'm going to repeat that. Lent is not about what you do during the season of Lent. Lent is not about what you give up during that season. Lent is about who we become. She used this gospel that I just shared with you, which you might be scratching your head trying to make a correlation between the two. She said the same thing I would say to you. I'm preaching to the choir here. I don't have to ask you who do you think Jesus is. I, I think everyone sitting here can answer that and most likely answer it correctly. We know Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the one that had been waited upon for so long. So she kind of turned that gospel around. She goes, if you know who Jesus is, then ask yourself not who do people say that he is, who do people say that you are? When people see you, when people see you dealing with others, when they see you in public, when they see you at work, who do people say that you are? Or who do people say that I am? If we are going to decide we need to become something or become someone, I would think that most of us sitting here would choose Jesus. You might choose your neighbor, 
Yeah, I really like my neighbor. I really admire him. That's who I want to become. I really like my husband or my wife or my partner. I think I want to be... Well, that's all well and good. But if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, then I would think that during the season of Lent, that would become our goal. To be more Christ-like. To go into the world so that we can be Jesus for others. Now, how do we do that? It sounds kind of easy, but it's really not. But if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, I think the most important thing we can do is look at his teachings and do what we can to implement those teachings into our lives. Do you remember as a child, I never see this Bible anymore, but do you remember as a child the Bible that had all of Jesus' words in red? I found that so fascinating. You know, you, you would open it up and flip through it, everything's black, everything's black. Ooh, look, here's what Jesus said. It's all in red. I don't see that anymore, but in, in some ways it might not be a bad idea to find it and pull it back out. I don't want to discount anything else in Scripture. I don't want to discount the Old Testament. I don't want to count other books, discount other books in the New Testament. But if we are followers of Jesus, then Jesus' words, his commandments, his teachings are what help us to be Christ for others. I call them the non-negotiable teachings. I learned that phrase in the Catholic seminary when I was at St. Meinrad, which some of you know that name, a monastery in southern Indiana, and it's also a Catholic seminary. My very first seminary had great effect on my life and my formation. And there were non-negotiable rules. Now, you can only imagine in a Catholic seminary what those non-negotiable rules were. <laughs> first time we were out and about, we were in the city of Evansville, Indiana, and we decided to get something to drink. Now, I'm going to date myself here a little bit because we went to a Bennigan's. And they, we were going to go to the bar and have a drink. And one of the seminarians that was a real rule follower said, well, we can't go in there. And someone said, well, why can't we go in there? And he goes, well, there's a bar. Well, we're all of age. And he said, ah, 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 it's a non-negotiable rule. Well, we didn't go in there because we knew Junior here was going to say something when we got back to the seminary. So we went to a place that didn't have a bar. It was a rather boring evening. And then we headed back to St. Meinrad. But that's the first time I ever heard of non-negotiable rules. And if you will bear with me a moment, I think Jesus has some non-negotiable rules. Now, we don't have an hour today, so I can't go through everything. But I have chosen four things that I believe are pretty non-negotiable when it comes to Jesus' teaching. And if we have the goal to become Jesus in the world, that's who we want to become in the season of Lent, it might behoove us to look at these non-negotiables. And I'm not going to ask you to, to embrace everything because it's, got, it's a lot of work. I'm going to ask you just to choose one. Choose one from the four that I would like to review. And I've got a little bit of scripture to, base, to back each one up. And I, they kind of get progressively more difficult. 
which is not unusual, because what, what Jesus asks us to do, is, it's not easy. And some things are really hard. So the first thing is, I call it the be sweet commandment. And the reason I call it that is because my mother, who many of you know, used to always say, every time my brother and I left the house, be sweet, without fail. That door open, be sweet, love you. Be sweet, love you. She could have said, be kind, love you. Be kind, it would have been the same thing. And I think it's also the forgotten commandment or the forgotten rule because we don't hear it often on a Sunday. But listen from Luke. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. Give and it will be given to you. My friends, if we wanted to be treated with kindness, then we need to be kind to others. If we want people to treat us with respect, then we need to respect others. If we want people to give to us, then we give to others. It's probably one of the most simple rules or non-negotiables that Jesus offers to us. It's not difficult. Once my mother heard my brother come in and was talking about some of his friends in a very rude way, and my mother simply said to him, is that how you want people to talk about you? And then I heard my grandmother say that once, also to me, and I realized, oh, mom learned it from grandma. <laughs> and grandma learned it from her mom. And her mom probably learned it from her mom. If we want kindness, we offer kindness. If we want respect, we offer respect. Second, non-negotiable. Being a servant. We forget sometimes that we are called to go into the world to be in service of one another. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, 
you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet and my hands, but my head as well. Jesus came into this world to serve, not to be served. And we forget that sometimes. Pope Francis says that the church is like a field hospital. We go to church, we hear God's word, we're fed by the Eucharist, and then we go into the world, which is like a war zone, to serve others and to be Christ. And then we come back to church and the same thing happens again and we hear God's word and we are fed spiritually and physically and we go back into the world because we've been at the field hospital. We become his feet and his hands in the world. You know, John Michael Talbot, do you know that name? He's a Franciscan friar who lives in Arkansas. He's also a musician. It's a beautiful song called St. Teresa's Prayer. You might have heard it before. You may have heard it from me before. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. You are the eyes with which he looks. Compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. As servants, we go into the world to be his hands and his feet and his mouth and his eyes. We go into the world to be his body. It's not easy, but that field hospital gives us the courage and the power to get back out there and do exactly that. The third non-negotiable is forgiveness mercy maybe just maybe the most difficult thing that jesus asked us to do then peter came to jesus and asked lord how many times shall i forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times jesus answered i tell you not seven times but 77 times There are times in our lives when someone wrongs us, offends us, and for some reason we just can't find the courage to forgive. And it ends up being a grudge that festers and festers and festers even more. And whether that grudge has lasted a year or five years or 15 years or 20 years or longer, if it's lasted that long, sometimes we don't even remember why we were mad in the first place. And if that grudge is continuing to fester, that means the situation is controlling us. It is not until we are able to let go and say the words, I forgive you, doesn't mean I'm forgetting, but it means I'm forgiving it is not until that happens are we able to let go and 
once again experience the grace of God and go on with our lives without that being a huge albatross around our neck. Very possibly the most difficult thing we do as Christians is to show mercy to one another. So hard. Number four. Maybe not the most difficult, but I certainly ended with this last one for a reason. Because it's all about love, y'all. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. My friends, that's it. I've often said, and you've probably heard in my preaching before, how can we love the person sitting right next to us, excuse me, how can, I'm going to restart that over, how can we love the God we cannot see when we love the person right next to us? So we, 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 we don't love sometimes the people next to us, is what I meant to say, but yet we love God. And, we, and, we, and God is not, God is with us, yes, in spirit, but we can't manage to show respect, show kindness, Forgive and show love to a person sitting right next to us. Why is that? They thought they had Jesus trapped when they asked him that question. He was talking about commandments, and they knew because there were over 613, I think, to be exact, commandments in Jewish law. They thought they had him trapped. There's no possible way that he can choose one. No way. So, Jesus, what's the most important? We've got him. He's trapped. Love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your neighbors yourself. Period. End of sentence. Nothing else to be said. It's over. Everything else is summed up, summed up in that. You don't have to go any further. No further. Don't look any further. But yet, today, we still struggle not only with loving the other, but loving the people right next to us. I'm telling you what, Christ Church New Zealand would not have happened if the law of love was taken seriously. I can give example after example after example. If we learn to live the law of love, as Jesus said, everything else will fall into place. That's it. Period. 
no more. You know, this, this is tough. I gave you four non-negotiables, and I could have given you a lot more. And I also chose you to choose one because I don't want you to be overwhelmed. I mean, after all, we're halfway through Lent, remember? Just, just choose whatever you need to work on. If it's being kind to someone, work on that. If it's being a servant for others, go to your field hospital and then go out into the world and be a servant. If it's forgiving someone who wronged you, then work on that. And if you struggle with love, work on that. Because it's a lot of work. When I taught second grade years ago, and you may have heard this before too, there was a little, a little boy who asked me, Mr. Pitzer, why is Lent so long? And remember, that's coming from a seven-year-old who celebrates Christmas one day, celebrates Easter one day, celebrates the 4th of July one day, celebrates Thanksgiving one day, celebrates their birthday, well, sometimes a week, one day. And then, this was in a Catholic school, same, same, it'd be the same thing in, a, in an Episcopal school. You celebrate the, the, the seasons of the church, and it's long. It's long for us as adults. So could you imagine for a seven-year-old? Mr. Pitzer, why is Lent so long? And what I, you, what I wanted to say, to a few of the students, it's because you're such a sinner. <laughs> but I didn't. I said, I said to him, and I, and I remember when it happened. His name was Roberto, a little Hispanic boy from San Antonio. I said to him, and I say the same thing to myself, and I'll say the same thing to you today. Why is Lent so long? Because we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do. May God give you the grace and the courage and the faith to simply get busy and get the work done go into the world and become Christ for others. Amen.